following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. All right. How are we doing, church? Good morning. All righty. So it is a honor to be with you this morning, uh, and it's great to see everybody here um, I, the, be- the church is a, uh, a beautiful thing, and as I look around, uh, it is just a privilege and an honor to be with you this morning and to lead you in worship each and every single week. So for those that don't know who I am, my name is Perry Sorensen, and I'm the worship leader here at CLF. And during the week, I serve in full-time ministry as the worship meter, or the worship and media director. And, and that just means that I look at everything from the, uh, checking out the websites, making videos, and the rest of the media type stuff. Now, obviously, uh, the role that I get to fulfill at CLF, a b- pretty big portion of it is to care for every member of the worship team. And let me say this. God has blessed us with amazing people to serve the body of CLF. Right. Yes, we have great musicians, but we also have devoted people that run our sound, which is no easy task. And we have folks that arrive here early just to unload a trailer full of all the equipment. We have a handful of people that produce our live stream and run slides on our projection. And then we have even more folks that stay after our church service is done to uh, to load up that trailer again. So we can do all of this all over again on Sunday. And I thank God for doing a work in these folks that they take these talents and these gifts and they choose to use them for the building up of God's people. And I know you guys don't ask for recognition, recognition, but I'd like to encourage you with how appreciated this church is for you serving them Sunday after Sunday. So do me a favor. If you are in any capacity, a part of the worship team, please stand. I know. Do it. Come on. Where are you guys at? Yes. You guys are amazing and I love you. All righty, church, let's jump in. So last week, Pastor York introduced us to a brand new sermon series called Seven Shaping Virtues. And church, it's no surprise that we've grown a lot in the last five years, right? The number that we continue just to be amazed at is, is this. 64% of our members have come to us in the last five years. So to make sure we're all united, that we understand who we are and why we do the things that we do, this sermon's needed. This sermon series is needed. And again, Pastor Dave kicked things off with humility. Now that only makes sense, right? Because church, we will never be able to reach those other virtues without humility. Without humility, we're never going to be able to look at the interests of others, which brings us to today. Today, we're going to look at encouragement. Now, if you're familiar with your Bibles at all, you'll know right away how common of a thread encouragement is. Encouragement is intertwined just about everywhere you look. And in fact, you can find the word of encouragement used 105 times in the Bible. And if you read closer, you'll know it's woven into every single story. The theme of encouragement, it flows through Scripture because it flows forth from God. Right? And just bear with me for a second. Let's look at how common of a theme encouragement is. I want you to notice how powerful of a force that encouragement can be when it's given to God's people. And this will come up in the screen. When the Lord raised up the leaders to serve his people, he called for them to be encouraged. When the church gathers, its members are called to encourage one another. 
When Bibles are opened, encouragement is meant to follow. Encouragement was one reason why men were sent by the apostles to visit the churches. We are told to encourage the faint-hearted when we encounter them. As love grows between us, encouragement should follow. And encouragement should commonly be present among those who take Jesus seriously. So I think I've made my point. We are to be encouragers because God himself is an encourager. right? Now, I think it's safe to say encouragement is commanded. And rightly so. God knows his people and knows how much we need encouragement. This life, it's full of trials and tribulation and sorrow, right? We all know that this world can be a really dark place. Some of you get up and do, and day in and day out, go to a job that you hate. You need encouragement. Some of you are trying everything you can just to keep your marriage intact. You need encouragement. Some of you continue to fall to the same temptations over and over and over again. You need encouragement. Some of us are just trying to pass a class. You need encouragement. And church, I have two wonderful teenagers, and my wife just gave birth to a beautiful baby a girl, making nights quite restless. I need encouragement. <laughs> we all do, right? We all need encouragement. Eventually, many of us will walk through this life-altering tragedy at some point. But for most of us, most of the time, the deepest challenge of life is not weathering some earth-shattering once-in-a-lifetime disaster. The greatest challenge at any given moment is negotiating just the multitude of discouragements in this life. A passive-aggressive email or a sarcastic text, a dear friend that moves away, and of course, our own ongoing yielding to our temptation. We all need encouragement. And let's be honest, we all face opposition. Again, the world that we face today is constantly making us aware of our weaknesses. And at times, we can be even completely overwhelmed with living a life that honors and serves Christ, right? We live in a fallen world. We have an enemy. And I'm reminded of a famous quote by a well-known professor. Always use the proper name for things. Fear of a name increases fear of the thing itself. If you don't know who that is, you're probably better off. So we have an enemy who is actively trying to derail us from being obedient to God. And his name is Satan, which oddly enough means accuser. We're told this enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He's known to be wily, right? Always having a scheme and trickery to catch you in a trap. He's going to whisper lies to you. He's going to tell you you're something you're not. He's going to tell you that you need the things that you don't need. And here's a question for you. Have you ever, have you been accused of something lately? All right? Or how about this one? Have you accused yourself of something? See, we know this enemy. We're far too aware of his existence. None of God's people will spread, be spared from him toying with you when you're at your weakest. But don't get it twisted. This enemy is not invincible. He's persistent, but he's not invincible. In fact, he has been defeated before. Christ triumphed over Satan and will and has been in all the spiritual beings who were at war against him. Colossians 2.15 says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. That is how we defeat our enemy as well. 
right? By remembering the great victory and power that we have through Christ to take on principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world and against spiritual wickedness in high places. We remember Christ and that is what gives us encouragement we need to win our own personal victories. Amen? Now turn with me to Romans 15, 1 through 7. That's going to serve as our reference text this morning. And as you find your way there, let me read you our big idea for the day. And our big idea is also going to serve as our definition for what true encouragement is. And it says this. Biblical encouragement is lifting up the saints by holding up Christ and his gospel treasure in order to strengthen them for joyful service to him. So please stand with me, church, as we read God's word. And as we read our Bibles, we await as God is speaking directly to us, and we know that we can trust in it. So Romans 15, 1 through 7. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray, church. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son first and foremost. We thank you that through that and through the great works of him that our salvation has been captured. It is sealed. It is awaiting us. This inheritance that we have, it is kept in heaven. We thank you for that. We thank you for this gathering that you have brought your people together to learn from your word. And I ask that you bless the preaching today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, you can be seated. All right, church, the game plan for today is we're going to check out three things. What, why, and how. We're going to take on three questions. We're going to see what is encouragement, why should we encourage, and lastly, how do we encourage. And it's a pretty simple layout that will hopefully allow us to fully understand that big idea. So let's tackle the first point of the day. What? What is encouragement? What is meant by biblical encouragement? Again, let's go back to our definition. Biblical encouragement is lifting up the saints by holding up Christ and his gospel treasure in order to strengthen them for the joyful service to him. Right off the bat, this is far different than what the world considers encouragement to be. This kind of encouragement is it's a foreign concept to unbelievers, right? The Greek word for encourage is parakaleo, and it's used in the New Testament to describe not only giving comfort to someone, but it also involves exhortation and urging, strengthening, and even appealing. It's a word used to describe giving people promise or hope. So how do we encourage each other? By holding up Christ and reminding one another of our hope. Romans 15.4 says, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now, as I said earlier, our enemy, Satan, he's going to whisper lies to us, and he'll do it in such a way that is most convincing. 
And it's at that moment that you need to recall the encouragements of the scriptures. Right? This is when you need to remember what Christ has done for you. Right? Do you think we memorize scripture simply to add it to our resume? No, we do it to give us something to pull from when we don't have anything else left. When we're at our lowest, we do it to spit back at Satan's face. We do it to arm ourselves with the very voice of God that instead of lies and deceit from our enemy, we hear him. Right? See, this implies you need to be in your word. That you need to arm yourselves with holy scripture. Encouragement is a means that we use to combat the rigors that this life has to offer by taking the sword, right? God's holy word and then using it to speak life into ourselves, our brothers and sisters and our neighbors. The encouragement of the scriptures, it allows us to bring biblical truths to weary believers. We bring words of life to revive their soul, which words that cannot fail or be improved upon. Right. Not to mention, if we're to lift up the saints by holding up Christ and his gospel, how do we do that without knowing something of who Christ is? Right. What the promises of God are, what is meant by these gospel treasures, right? This type of encouragement, real encouragement, it hinges on the kind of relationship that you have with your father. First Thessalonians 4.18 says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. See, taking God's word and letting it speak to us, it's a staple of our faith. This voice gives us life, it gives us hope, and it gives us encouragement. All believers are to utilize the truths of scripture as instruments of encouragement. And you don't have to be an expert or, or a theologian to be able to have this type of encouragement. You don't need to be a pastor or have certain letters in front of your name to be able to understand the central message of the Bible, the gospel. All you need to know is that the main character to whom all scripture points is Christ, right? And with that, you can know the purpose of scripture to draw us into an ever deepening relationship with him. What is biblical encouragement? Lifting up the saints by holding up Christ. And you do that with these words. So we have a definition of what biblical encouragement is, right? We've seen a few examples in our introduction. Now let's take a different approach. Great way to study what something is, is to study what it's not, right? Let's look at what encouragement is not. Like I said, the world doesn't understand what true encouragement looks like. The Oxford Dictionary describes encouragement as the action of giving someone support, confidence, or hope. Well, my question is then, hope in what? Right? Hope in personal fortitude? Go get them, tiger. You know, you got this. Hope in a positive mentality, right? Hold your head up high. A hope in self-belief, right? Just believe in yourself. Okay, what was I not before? Right? When you're at your lowest, when you're at your weakest moment, is this the kind of hope that you want to hear? Is this the encouragement that's going to motivate you to keep on keeping on? I don't think so. This hope, this encouragement is empty. It's shallow. Sure, it might give you that little boost that you need, but sooner than later, that thing, that obstacle, right, that challenge, maybe that temptation, that's going to hit you again. And empty words just won't do the trick. That's what the world has to offer. Empty words of encouragement. 
empty hope. And it's based solely on this notion. The world doesn't understand the glorious treasures we have in Christ and in the gospel that allows us to latch on to the promises of God to get us through those dark times. But church, we need to be careful not to shell out these empty words ourselves, even as Christians, right? Biblical encouragement is so much more than just these positive, feel-good expressions that we slap on our coffee mugs. And boy, do we have them, right? Who's been to Hobby Lobby lately, right? I love being at Hobby Lobby for about a minute, right? My family, my family, don't get me wrong. My family, they love going to Hobby Lobby. My son, he's in the back. He's checking out all the model airplanes. My daughter, Justice, she is a artist, right? She's checking out the art supplies. And my wife, she loves having people over. She loves hosting. So she's checking out all the seasonal stuff, you know? Oh, oh look, these plates are found. Look, I found these for Christmas. Christmas, it's October, right? <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, that's a Christian organization trying to do business differently, right? They're dealing with today's government and everything that comes along with it, the the, the, the cancel culture, the woke culture, liberal agendas, right? And, and in that regard, my hat's off to them. But, uh, you know, we, we, I understand we need more businesses like that. But again, as soon as you walk in, you're bombarded by these empty quotations, and they're everywhere. They're on signs, they're on napkins, they're on stationery. And if you are looking for a brand new set of throw pillows that'll just give you that extra little, right? You are in luck. So here's a few. Live, laugh, love. Aw, right? Everything happens for a reason. Or just single words. Faith. Jesus. Hope. Right. Who can't forget? Hashtag blessed. Right. This stuff, it drives me nuts because I know you. I know myself. There are real struggles. There is real darkness. There are real things going on in your life right now. That if it continues, it has a real chance to derail you in your faith. Church, we can't be a people that encourages one another with these kind of phrases. True encouragement rests on and in the power that can only come by pointing one another to the gospel. True encouragement is Christ-centered. It's meant to help fellow believers stand against the effects of the fall, to strengthen them to persist in the call to be salt and light. Encouragement isn't just throwing around these buzzwords, these exaggerated statements. What it is, is pointing out the truths about Christ and this gospel to apply to every Christian, and that you see God doing a work in them. You shouldn't come to church just to feel good, right? That's not why we gather. We're not here just to make us feel better about ourselves. But instead, we gather to help each other see that Christ is present and that he is faithful. And he always will be, right? This brings us back to our definition of biblical encouragement, lifting up Christ to those who belong to Christ. It has a true power. Now listen to this quote by Kyle Huber. Pointing to Christ in meaningful ways is never thin because he is wondrous in every way. There is no glimpse of Christ that is thin in glory or void of meaning. As we point to Christ, we can open the vast treasury of his gospels. The glorious realities which make other forms of inspiration look shabby and tarnished. Reminding people about the sustaining and refreshing truths of Christ doesn't require exaggeration or clever wordsmithing. We just give the facts. 
the jaw-dropping facts of creation, incarnation, crucifixion, redemption, resurrection, justification, reconciliation, adoption, sanctification, consolation, glorification, presentation, and celebration. I mean, wow. Church, can you see the difference here? Right? You have biblical encouragement versus worldly encouragement. You have true hope versus emptiness. Right? That is the encouragement that we're called to give one another. Biblical encouragement is a means that God uses to care for and strengthen his people. That brings us to our next point. Why? Why do we encourage? Let's recap real fast. First, we covered that encouragement is a common theme in scripture, both in the Old Testament and in the New. And it's actually commanded in scripture. Secondly, we've established that we all need encouragement. There isn't one person here that doesn't need encouragement. I don't care how strong you think you are, right? And then we just finished covering what biblical encouragement is and how it's different from what the rest of the world says it is. So now let's transition into why God has chosen to command us to encourage one another. So Romans 15, verses 5 and 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So why are we commanded to encourage one another? For starters, because we're image bearers of God and we're called to be image bearers of Christ, that we're to emulate our Savior the best we can. That said, we can't forget that he's described as an encourager. Verse 5 says, may the God of encouragement and endurance grant you to live in such harmony. Right? God has cornered the market on encouragement. He knows how to bring comfort. He knows how to reconcile and restore. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We all know that one. You think that's an encouragement statement? You think it's an encouraging verse? Right? To know that God foresaw our need to be reconciled to him, so he sent his only son to die on a cross for us. How encouraging of an act. Right? Again, Kyle Huber writes this. One of the most unexamined descriptions of God is found in Romans 15.5, where the one we worship and serve is called the God of endurance and encouragement. God is by nature and practice an encourager. He is open-handed with encouragements to us because we need them in, in order to endure in joyful faithfulness to him. If God, as an encourager, does not fit how we think about his orientation toward us, we will likely fail to value encouragement as God does. We will consider encouragement as a nice bonus we may hand out to fellow believers at times, but we will not view encouragement as an integral part of what it means to be Christian. Right? We are to encourage because it is in our DNA, right? It's who we are. Christians, giving encouragement, it's what we do, right? Verse 6, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here we have a call to arms, so to speak, to encourage one another with one voice we would glorify God. You see, the writer of Romans, Paul He understood that worship isn't what it's meant to be unless there's unity, right? When we don't have unity as the people of God, as the local church, our worship, it's impoverished, right? It offers poor praises to God because it lacks love and encouragement amongst the fellow believers. 
God wants us to worship him in unity. I'm reminded of the Psalm 133.1. It says, behold, how good and pleasant it is when others dwell in unity. All right. We're called to encourage one another so we can be united. Christian unity is unity in Christ. Right. Brothers and sisters united under the banner of Christ. That means that Jesus Christ himself is the focus of our unity and it binds us together. So what is the purpose of this unity? And so we can engage in a worship that is a testimony to what God has done. So that with one mind and one voice, we may glorify the God of our father, our Lord Jesus Christ. So our heavenly father wants us to be united so that we may glorify him. But then we have to ask ourselves, how do we stay united? Right. These things happen. What do we do when we're lacking? What do we do when we're weak? What do we do when there's a feud? Well, one of these means is through encouragement. Another similar verse, Thessalonians 5:11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Notice how it says encourage one another. Right. That's something to be noted. That phrase one another or each other. It emphasizes the the mutuality of Christian care, right? When it comes to lifting each other up, we're not simply to leave it to the elite professionals, the comforters, the, the counselors or the therapists. They have their place, right? But supporting and caring, encouraging and comforting, they're all ministries which belong to all members of the body of Christ, right? Something naturally Some naturally have this gift of encouragement, but at the end of the day, if you call yourself Christian, you're called to be an encourager. You're called to encourage. Just look at our definition again. Biblical encouragement is lifting up the saints by holding up Christ and his gospel treasure in order to strengthen them for joyful service to him. That last part, it says, in order to strengthen them. Right? We're called to encourage one another because this is how we strengthen one another. Right? When one of us is fearful, we encourage when one of us is hurt we encourage when one of us is anxious we are to encourage right because that's how we find strength as a body because when we do that it brings glory to god when we're weak when we gather together we become resilient hebrews 10:24 and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For reasons that should be obvious, we can't stir up one another or encourage one another if we never gather, right? Take note that this verse isn't just calling us to exercise fellowship, right? It's calling us to take action. John Wesley often said, the Bible knows nothing of a solitary religion. Right. Again, we all have a part to play. The church's role in helping believers persevere until the end. It's vital. Right. And church, you're part of that. Right. We can't have confidence and full assurance of faith apart from the church. That's you. We can't endure all of life's trials in isolation. Isolation will always lead to a dark place. Each Christian desperately needs the body of believers for encouragement. To obtain assurance, we need continual reminding from other saints. God's designed it that way, that we would gather to be with one another. All right, now let's get serious for a moment. Christ calls his followers to bring out the best in each other, right? To strengthen each other with encouragement. 
Believers must actively and verbally stir up one another to love and good works. An unhealthy church fails to do this, right? Unhealthy believers fail to do this. Verse 24 and 25, they're strong words. They're words of judgment against those who are in the habit of neglecting other believers, right? Those who neglect gathering together cut themselves off from the very means whereby Christ feeds and assures and protects his people. To say, I can do this on my own, is to defy the very command of Christ, right? Now, I've heard all the rebuttals to this. Some of you may claim that they that you can hear better preaching on the Internet. And today, that's probably true. But some say, I'm just too busy to attend church, right? That's my only day I get to sleep in. I'll just watch online later. But hear me out. All of these excuses reveal the reality of a disobedient heart. And I'm not talking about when you're sick or when you're on a family trip either. I'm not talking about when, when you, when you take, uh, take your family to go to a place. But what I'm talking about is when excuses become habitual, right? So instead of searching for an excuse, Christians should be doing everything within their power to meet together. And not only because they need to be fed by preaching, but also because it's part of our faith to stir up fellow believers to love and good works, to give them encouragement. Right. And this encouragement, it's a beautiful gift and it's one we should all desire to do regularly. There is amazing power and an encouraging word. And here's the deal. You and I, we can change a life with a kind word. Right. It's our duty. Lives of provocation through prayer, example, scripture and encouragement are gifts that the church desperately and regularly needs. God wants us to have these things. Right. So why do we encourage one another? Because God uses it to strengthen us in our unity so that we can glorify him. And that brings us to our last point. How? Right. How do we encourage? So what we've covered so far, we've covered the encouragement is a common theme in scripture. We've established that we all need encouragement. We've covered what biblical encouragement is and what it's not. And we've covered that we're all commanded to be encouragers. And we've covered that God calls us to encourage one another so that we may glorify him. Okay, so now what? How do we do that? Well, the good news is, is that God has given us everything we need to be able to encourage one another. Even if you think you don't have the gift of encouragement, God has prepared every means necessary for us to lift one another up. We've already covered a big one while defining what encouragement is. We've already discussed that the big difference between a worldly encouragement and a biblical one is that a biblical one is rooted in these words, right? Never forget that when we open up our Bible, our expectations should be awaiting to hear the very voice of God speaking to us, right? God's holy word is our heavenly father talking directly to us, right? Allow the God of the universe, the God of encouragement to lift you up in others with his words. God has also gifted us with the Holy Spirit. The second means that God has given us to encourage one another is the gifting by the Holy Spirit. Read Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12.7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So all of us who are followers of Christ have been given the Spirit. Why? For the common good. Well, that's interesting. So what's meant by the common good? Well, Paul shows us what he means by that in just two chapters later, and they'll come up on the screen. Check it out. Verse 3. On the other hand, The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement 
and consolation. Verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Verse 12, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Verse 17, for you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. And the last one, verse 26, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Right? The point here is this. The Spirit works through us and in ways designed not just to benefit ourselves, but other members of our church. All spiritual gifts are Christ-exalting. It's what the Spirit loves to do. And it's meant for lifting each other's hearts to be Christ-exalting. You don't think you have the gift of encouragement? Well, you have the Holy Spirit that resides in you, right? And that same Spirit reside that resided in Christ is now in you. You and I can call upon the Spirit to lift each other up, to encourage one another, right? That leads us into the last means that we have been given. It's mutual faith. A means of encouragement is our mutual faith. Romans 1.12 says that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. You want to see one of the many beauties of the church, right? Just take a minute. Look around the room. Go ahead. Right? All of us are here because we have been joined together by the same Redeemer, Jesus. Right? We're united under the banner of Christ. We have both the young and the old. Right? We have the wealthy and the unwealthy. We have both sports fanatics and artists, musician. We have both duck fans and beaver fans. And we will continue to pray for the duck fans. Right? I'm not kidding. All right? But listen clearly. We're not bound to one another by a mutual hobby or interest or sports team, right? We are the church because we have a mutual faith in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, can you see how important it is for us to gather, right? We're citizens of heaven, which makes us aliens of this world. A significant source of a believer's discouragement comes from the corruption around us and in us. Sometimes we find discouragement because we know what we're made for, what awaits us, the kingdom of heaven, right? Sometimes this world kind of sucks, right? We know that. And then we contrast that with what awaits. Now, we live in a beautiful area, but it's still subpar to what our faith tells us we will enjoy for all eternity, right? But it's by that mutual faith that we lean on and remind each other to say we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, sometimes, sometimes we think our faith is weak, right? That it's just these facts we know, we simply believe in a different worldview, right? But make no, make no mistake, our faith is supernatural, right? And don't be worded, weirded out about that word. Even when our faith falters in a challenging trial or difficult situation, we lean on the truth of God made flesh, the virgin birth, the bodily resurrection, and the return of Jesus, our King. Right? How can we believe in something that most of the world would simply make fun of? It's because we truly do have a faith that is supernatural. Right? And get this, we have enough faith to strengthen those who also believe. And when we see or hear of faith in fellow believers, we're encouraged. As we speak biblically enriched and faith-filled words to one another, the body takes a deep breath and revives the soul. Right? Again, 
the beauty of the church. As we gather together, we have to realize that this is something far more than just a social visit, a place to where we get these warm and fuzzies after a week saturated in a sin-stained world. Right? When we gather, it is brothers and sisters united in the banner of Christ, encouraging one another, strengthening one another to finish the race while giving glory to God. Right? A good example is when we sing to one another. We have a vertical relationship, yes, but there's also a horizontal relationship with one another. When we sing, we're, we're doing more than just belting out these melodies. We're declaring the truths of the gospel to each other, right? And what about this one? On those days where you don't feel like getting up and being here, right? Might have been today. But you force yourself to do that anyways. You usually walk away thankful that you came. Why is that? Because you are just enriched with the words of the gospel, right? You are pointed to a God who loves you. And you are encouraged by the mutual faith that you share with others, right? The church is a beautiful thing. How do we encourage By using the word of God while relying on the Holy Spirit to lift each other up by our mutual faith. So hopefully, hopefully now we're all eager to encourage those around us. But still, some of you may still be wondering, so how do we actually do that? Right. You might be saying, I see the need. I understand what encouragement is. I get that God wants me to strengthen my brothers and sisters. But how do I do that? What do I say? So I'm going to read a few practical ways that we can do this. And there's there's eight of them from the Shaping uh, Virtues. But don't worry, this, this it's not going to take too long. But I found these to be really helpful. And these are things all of us can do immediately to put encourage into action. All right. So the first one, you're going to come up on the screen. Be as specific as possible. Rather than telling a volunteer, great job today, pointing out something you notice and thanking them for it, The best encouragements are those that point to the beauty of God at work in specific ways. Number two, internalize God's word. Know his attributes and his promises. Fill your heart and mind with meditations that are rich in Christ and his gospel. And this is going to heighten your sensitivity to his influences in people. We've already gone over a lot of this one. Number three, pay attention to how believers interact with one another. Any gathering of the church will present abundant opportunities to see God's grace at work in each other. And when you hear a praiseworthy activity in the life of someone you know, mark it down and encourage them with what you learned about God's grace in them. Right. Number four. Take advantage of the many means we have for sending encouragement. Today, we can send cards and letters to make an impression, but we also have text. Right. You can send a text and it's an easy way for people to connect and maybe helpful for those who are too shy to bring up these face to face interactions and encouragement. Right. When you get that thought, I should text that person. Right. Don't wait. Do it. Right. But we also can't neglect those in person encouragements. Right. And especially in the moments when you notice that the behavior is particularly worthy of it. OK. Number five. Review your prayer list and consider who can reach out to it, right? Let them know that you carry them on your heart. Include something of the Lord's faithfulness. And don't forget to point out faithfulness you see and how they carry their burdens. It's a huge one. Number six, don't wait for big reasons for encouragement, right? Simply just being consistent and living for Christ is worthy of encouragement. It's an honorable goal. 
right? Lift up as much as you can and as often as you can. Number seven, include encouragements to those you think are mature and don't need it, right? You know the phrase, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? That can't be the case here. The accuser may be his most furious in attacking the mature. Look at Job. Don't think otherwise. Every believer is confronted with reasons for discouragement on a regular basis. Okay, number eight. Be quick to speak up about what God is doing in and around you. The enemy whispers that God is not at all that active in our lives, right? We need to counter that treacherous voice by helping each other become aware of the fact that God truly is quite active among us, okay? See, church, this this is much easier than some make it out to be. The power of encouragement, it's real. And when we gather, show a smile, right? Give a hug. Squeeze a hand, right? Patiently just listen to someone and follow up with them to show them you care. Instead of rushing out of here to head to lunch, take a couple minutes and check in with someone. These are hugely beneficial to the body of Christ, to each other, right? Let us sing loudly to God and loudly to each other. When we do these things, biblical encouragement is seen, the lifting up of saints by holding up Christ and his gospel treasure in order to strengthen them for joyful service to him. And all the while we do that, we bring glory to God. Church, I want to end with this quote, and it says, it says something that points us to the joy that comes when we encourage one another. Encouragement is enjoyable because it identifies the evidences of grace that are already embedded and flowering in the lives of God's people. Encouragement is not a makeshift attempt to stick Christian slogans onto an otherwise pathetic life. Just the opposite. We encourage believers by identifying what is true in them. We brush off the dust and point to the gem. We give voice to the evidential presence of the Holy Spirit. We acknowledge the vibrant colors of Christ's character. We lay out the manifestations of God's word that we have observed and experienced. In a very real sense, encouragers are treasure hunters who cry out, there is Christ and I see him in you. Amen. Let's pray, church. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, we are full of thanksgiving for the gift of the church. We realize that through this gift, this is how you care. You support and you comfort your people. It's one of the many ways. Lord, I would ask that you would please just take this message, allow it to be received well. Allow us to fully understand that when we gather, it is so much more than a social event. We are united in the works of Christ. We have a mutual faith. Lord, let us never forget that when we gather, we are to encourage one another. We are called to lift each other up by lifting up Christ. Lord, we are far too aware just the troubles that this life can present. It's not difficult at all to simply just take a walk around or take a drive around town and just see the brokenness. 
Lord, we need encouragement. And ultimately, we thank you that we have the greatest gift of encouragement that any of us could have ever received. We have the hope of Christ. Lord, we thank you. Place in our hearts just that deep recognition of what you have done for us. Allow that to stem forth gratitude. Allow it to cultivate a culture in this church, the body of Christ here at CLF. Allow it to be made and hear that we have a great Redeemer. And let us constantly point to each other to that. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.